just come to it. Amen. Can you shake your neighbor as you take your seat and say, Welcome to the presence of God? Amen. So this morning, I actually preach on something similar to what we had uh, during our night vigil. If you are there, you know that we had a great time in the presence of God. So we'll continue in that same spirit. So this morning, I'll be talking about the believer's redemptive rights and responsibilities. Praise God. The believer's redemptive rights and responsibilities. Your rights as a believer and your responsibilities as a believer. This message will just serve as a reminder because sometimes we tend to forget who we are. We tend to forget the, the things that has been freely given unto us as the scripture clearly stated. Amen. So my end this morning is to try to remind us about who we are and what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God? And what are the responsibilities that accompany that? Praise God. With, with, with great power comes great responsibility. Amen. So every kingdom or every, every country on earth has outlined in a document called the Constitution the, the rights and privileges and the responsibilities of its citizens. Praise God. So the Dutch government has in its constitution what the rights and privileges and the responsibilities of a Dutch citizen should be. And the United States or Nigeria, they have a constitution that outlines what are the rights and responsibilities of every citizen that calls himself a United States citizen or a Dutch citizen or whatever, whatever country you're coming from. Praise God. So the constitution defines what, what is yours and what you are obligated to do as a citizen. Praise God. So, for example, in the United States, they said if you are a citizen, so you have the freedom of expression, the freedom of speech. That's why Americans like to talk too much because it's, it's, it's protected by the law. You can say whatever you want. You have freedom of speech. That's a legal right. It's backed by the law. You have freedom of worship. You can worship whatever you want. That's why there are all kinds of worshippers uh, in the United States. You have the right to be elected into a political office. You have the right, if you are caught in a crime, to be tried by a fair jury. You have, you have, you have all kinds of rights, and these are outlined in the Constitution. Praise God. So it is the responsibility, therefore, of every citizen to find out what are my rights and responsibilities as, I, I, as, as a citizen of this country. And we as believers actually belong, belong to a country. We belong to a kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of God. And we also have that constitution that outlines everything that is our rights and our responsibilities. Praise God. If you look in the world today, in, in fact, not, not just today, but even in the past, there have been all kinds of rights movements. Human beings have the tendency to always fight for their rights. We always like to fight for our rights. There have been civil rights movements to abolish slavery, to abolish all kinds of horrific things in the past. And even today, there are all kinds of movements. In fact, even animals now have rights. There are animal rights movements. Praise God. I won't be surprised if tomorrow there are plant rights movements and we cannot eat plants anymore. Praise God. But there are all kinds of rights. So people, some, some, some people have become tax experts. They say, as a citizen, we can get this back from the government. We can get 2,000 euros back. We can get, you study all these things because you want to make sure you take maximum opportunity or maximum utilization of the things that are apportioned to you as a citizen. So we, we, we like to do that. We find out if, if you are stopped on the road by the police, why did you stop me? I mean, 
it is my right to do this, you begin to step what your rights are. But what we don't see often is the kingdom rights movement. What we don't see often is the sonship rights movement. What we don't see as believers is people that are trying to find out what are my rights as a child of God. We study all kinds of rights. It's the civil rights in the world that we live, but we belong to a kingdom of God. Do you know what your rights are in that kingdom? Do you know what your rights are as a child of God, as a daughter of Zion? Do you know what your rights are and what are the responsibilities that accompany those rights? Praise God. We need to understand that there's something, uh, there's a difference between a right and a privilege. Praise God. There's a clear difference between what is called a right and what is called a privilege. A right is something that is backed by the law, something that is due to a person according to the law. So this is not negotiable. So if something is clearly stated out and is backed by, by, by legislation, is backed by the law, that is a right. It's not a privilege. So for example, if you are entitled to something, maybe you are entitled to, to 2,000 euros back from the government due to a law in the constitution, you don't beg the government. You're not begging them to give you. You're asking them to do what their responsibilities are because you are entitled to that. You don't have to go to beg anybody for it because it is your right as clearly defined by the law. But the privilege is something that somebody is due to you due to somebody's kindness. Maybe somebody gives you a favor, somebody is just being nice to you. So that's a privilege. The person can decide to stop it anytime and you cannot challenge it. Praise God. And so what we see most of the time is the privilege mentality in the kingdom of God. We don't see the right mentality. We are always thinking about the privilege mentality. We are always looking out for the occasional miracles. We are always asking God, oh, maybe God will favor me this time. Maybe God will favor me that time. No, that's a privilege mentality. And that is not how a son thinks in the kingdom of God. A son knows that, yes, I live in perpetual blessings. I don't need miracles. I live in perpetual blessing every day of my life because the Bible says, for God has blessed me all, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1 verse 3. So you understand that in this, this kind of prayer that you pray, please God, do this, please God. God is confused. He said, are you really my son? Because a son does not behave the way you behave. A servant, yes, behaves like that. But a child of the kingdom does not. So we need to understand that there is a clear difference between what your rights are and what privileges are in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So remember we belong to the kingdom of God and in this kingdom we have rights. We need to start to insist on those rights. Amen. And the first right I want to talk about is the right to sonship. When you get born again, you have a right to be called a son. And the word son is a generic term that is used in the Bible. So it, it, it involves also ladies and, and women. So when you hear the word son in the Bible, it doesn't just mean uh, just, just men. Praise God. The word son, actually the, the root word of it is a generic term that refers to offspring. You can be, interpret the word son in the Bible as offspring or children. So it encompasses those. So don't think when I say son that all the ladies are left out. Praise God. So when you become born again, you have the rights of sonship. 
And that is very important. And as we will see later, you have the right to be called a son of God. Or if you like, you can say you are a daughter of God. You have the right of sonship. And what have you noticed that every, the first thing that the, the first point of challenge that the devil wants to impact when you get born again is actually your sonship. The first thing the devil wants to attack when anyone gets born again is to establish a doubt in your mind about whether or not you're really a son. I will show you that in the scriptures. Can we go to Matthew chapter 4 from verse 1 to 11? It's, it's a long scripture. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. This was, this was the first encounter of Jesus Christ with the devil. So the tempter came to him and he said, If you are really the Son of God. So the aim of that was to cause doubt in the mind of Jesus about whether or not he was really a son. The implication of, of that is say, I know you're not a son, but if you are really a son, can you prove it to me? So he wanted to establish first a foundation of doubt in the mind of Jesus about whether or not he was truly a son in the kingdom. Because the implication of somebody knowing that he's the son of the kingdom is grievous to the devil. So he said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus' response, Jesus didn't even dignify that with a response. He didn't even try to say, but I'm really a son of God. He said, no, I know who I am. Jesus, that, that response clearly states to Jesus, he said, look, I know who I am, and this is what the scripture says, so I'm not even going to dignify your request with a response. I'm not going to do that. The devil didn't stop there. Said that the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point. He said, if you are the son of God again, the devil did not give up. So the first point of attack, the main point of attack, are you really the son of God? If you are the son of God, can you prove it? Are you really the son of God? If you are the son of God, can you prove it? And he didn't walk again. Versus, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up. In their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Again, Jesus Christ did not respond. Can we go further? Jesus says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, now the devil has tried twice about sonship. He now knew that Jesus Christ really understood who he is. He said, okay, the next step is to try to say, okay, I know you're the son of God, but can you sell that sonship? So first, he tries to establish a doubt about your sonship, and if he sees that you are really convinced about your sonship, he tries to find a way, how can you give up that sonship? How can you really give up that sonship? Because it's important to him that you don't know that you are the son of God. Praise God. And he said again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I will give you, he said, if you bow to me, if you bow down and worship me. In other words, if you renounce your sonship to the kingdom of God and take a new sonship with me. So the first point of attack for every believer is actually to sow doubts in your mind about whether or not you are truly accepted. Whether or not God has really taken you to be his son. 
whether or not you ask, God actually means it when he says, you are my son, you are my daughter. Praise God. And the devil understands the power that comes with that knowledge. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Can we put that up? Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. To verse 17. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our own spirit that we are God's children. So now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. So this is what the devil is scared about. He's scared about the implication of sonship. Because the sonship implies that you are an heir to God. It implies that you are actually a replica of God. That you are an heir to God. John chapter 1 verse 11 to 12. The Bible says Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. Praise God. So this is what the devil is scared about. He's scared about the implication that comes with your sonship. So it comes along with the right of being an heir of the Father. Can we see Galatians chapter 4, verse 7? Galatians 4, 7. Because you are sons, so Galatians 4, 7. You are no longer slaves but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. So the, the implications of that is clearly seen. So here, heir of what? So you are a son of God, and as a result, you become an heir to God. But what do you actually inherit from God? Praise God. And that's what the devil is scared about. So as an heir, you actually inherit the power, the authority, and the glory of God. The power, the authority, and the glory of God. You, so the Bible says in 2 Peter that we have become partakers of the divine nature. So we actually, as children of God, we share now in the nature of God. Praise God. So... My daughter now shares in my nature. 50% of my DNA is with her. But with God, it's not just 50%. It's everything that he is that you actually share in. We have become partakers of the divine nature. Therefore, whatever God can do to the devil, you can actually do to the devil. Amen. Whatever the devil is scared of God for, he should be scared of you for. Amen. You're not, there's nothing literally that, that, that should stop you from seeing your God as a rep, seeing yourself as a replica of God because the Bible clearly states it, and this is not heresy, that you are gods. That you are gods. A mango tree gives birth to a mango fruit, a dog gives birth to a puppy, a small dog. A god gives birth to what? Gods. You are actually, literally God. You share in the nature and the character of God. You are partakers of the divine nature. And that's what the devil is scared about. He, he knows that if you understand that, he, he is completely powerless against you. 
Because then you stop praying all these kind of prayers that we pray. Oh God, please do this. God, please, the devil is pursuing me. The devil is... What? Have you ever seen God running away from the devil? <laughs> what we have in the kingdom of God is, 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 is an ignorance problem. We play too much religion and we don't study the word of God. Every time we just, we, we, we prefer to just, you know, wrap ourselves in nice words that sound religious, but it's actually not the word of God. The word of God literally says that you are son and therefore you share in the nature of God. You're partakers of the divine nature. Praise God. Amen. It is not a privilege. It is not a privilege. It is a right. Praise God. Sonship is not a privilege. It is a right. And God understands that when you talk to him like that, when you come to God, you don't come like a servant is trying to beg something. He said, no, Father, I, I want to have this. And God understands that when you come with that mindset that it is your right, he gives it to you. Praise God. Amen. You don't see uh, Prince Harry trying to beg the queen about, about some... Because he knows that by birth, he is entitled to those things. Praise God. A prince is entitled to everything that the king has. Praise God. So it is not a privilege, it is a right. And like I said, it is privileged mentality that always looks out for miracles. Yeah? Uh, occasionally, uh, maybe today I have that miracle. I've been praying since January. Maybe this December I'll have that miracle. No. No. There's a point you reach in your understanding of sonship that you no longer look out for miracles because they become unnecessary. Do you know that some of the things that we call the great move of God or, or, or demonstration of the power of God is actually an implication to our immaturity. There are some things when you keep looking for, it's actually indicative of your immaturity in the things of God. You know, there are some people that said, ha, ah, you know how I got married, God really moved and I saw this face in a vision uh, or this face appeared to me. Do you know what that means? that you actually have not developed a relationship with God that you could understand this, that you have to move supernaturally because you, before you can hear Him. Some of the things are, we are proud about are things that we should be ashamed about as children of God. Actually, yes. If your prayer life is always, please God do this, please God do this, no, 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 no. There's a point you reach where your, your focus becomes establishing and legislating the will of the Father here on earth. No longer about God, can you give me this? God, can you, you understand that all things are yours. Amen. You understand? And so your focus becomes, what is the will of the Father? I have to establish what the will of the Father is here on earth. And that is the responsibility that comes with sonship. So when you are a son, you are representative of your father, wherever you are. An ambassador of Nigeria here in the Netherlands, when there's a problem between Nigeria and the Netherlands, he's the first point of call. The Dutch government, uh, prime minister will say, bring the ambassador here. He will answer for the crime of Buhari. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I, I never hope to be that ambassador. Praise God. He will, he, will, he will answer for the crime of Buhari. He will answer for if, if the, the president of Ghana, the ambassador of Ghana, will answer for the crime 
of the president of Ghana in, in the Netherlands. So as a son, wherever you are, you're actually representing your father. You're actually representing God. And what that means is that if you see something that is contrary to the will of the father, you say, no, this cannot be. My father does not allow this. I cannot also allow this to happen. So there are situations you go in and you see the devil playing, playing uh, football with people. He said, devil, you cannot do this. Jesus Christ entered the marketplace. He said, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. He pursued everyone there because he knew he was representing the will of the father. He understood that there he was actually the father. He was actually a representative of the father. Praise God. Amen. So your responsibility, the responsibility that comes with sonship is to make sure you legislate and you enforce the will of heaven on earth. In your family, you enforce the will of God. In your place of work, you enforce the will of God. And what does that mean? If there are situations that, that, that are contrary to the will of God, you stand in the gap and you say, this cannot happen. Praise God. Amen. That should be your role. Jesus Christ clearly had this in mind. Can we see uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18? Luke 4, 18. This is what Jesus said when he came. He said, the spirit of the Lord, O oh God is with me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He understood his mission. He says, no, this is who I am. I have come as a representative of the kingdom of God and I'm here to abolish all the works of darkness. I'm here to enforce the will of my father and to establish it. So the implication of that is when you know that you're the son of God, there are some things that will not happen in your presence. There are some things that will not happen in your presence. The devil knows that, no, this guy is here. We cannot do this. You know, Paul was on a boat, and the boat was, there was heavy storm. You know, God, the angel came to Paul and told him, he said, nobody will perish here because you are on this boat. He said, nobody will die because you are in this boat. So you understand that as a son, you actually, God, every authority of heaven goes along with you wherever you go. You enter a place, every demon there should know that there is somebody that has come here. A child of God has come here. So we have to seize our activities. Praise God. So we need to take responsibility as sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. Amen. The second is actually the right to freedom from sin and sickness. The right to freedom from sin and sickness. It's very important you understand that. First, the right of freedom from sin. One of the greatest lies that has been told in the church is that, you know, we are simply flesh and blood and we submit to the laws of the flesh as long as we are in this world. That is the most poisonous thing that has, been sp that, that has entered the child, the mind of the believer. That, you know, we are simply flesh and blood. We cannot overcome these things. Once in a while you fall in sin and you wake up. Once in a while you fall. That's the greatest lie of the devil. Praise God. And I want to challenge that today. The believer can live above sin. 
Not can, he should. Amen. The believer should live. God expects you, actually. It's an expectation. It's an expectation that the believer should live above sin. And first of all, we need to understand something very clearly. The believer has no sin problem. The believer has no issue with sin. And that's because sometimes we misunderstand what sin is. The believer has no sin problem. If you think you are a sinner here, please, after, after I finish, I will make altar call. Come and repent and give your life to Jesus Christ. Praise God. Yeah. You know some prayers we pray. You know, God, we are sinners uh, saved by grace. That is, that is the devil just play, toying with your life. You need to understand that because as long as you keep telling yourself that uh, we are flesh and blood, the devil will keep you in a cage. Praise God. We need to understand that the believer has no sin problem. And what is sin? What is sin actually? Sin is a nature. Some people may think uh, the things you do are actually the sin. No, they are not the sin. The wrong things that you do, for example, you steal or you misbehave, those are just fruits of the nature that is in you. But sin is a nature. The fruit of it is what we physically see, but the fundamental, the root problem is the nature. Praise God. Can we read Romans chapter 5 verse 12? Romans chapter 5 verse 12 to 18. Praise God. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. So, the implication of that is actually you were born a sinner because because it's the nature of, it was the nature of the first man. So you didn't become a sinner because you stole. You didn't become a sinner because you did bad things. You became a sinner because you inherited the nature of sin. Praise God. And death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Not necessarily in acts, but through inheritance. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even unto those who did not sin by breaking a command. Can you see that? You did not sin by breaking a command. You did not sin by committing fornication. You, those things are actually a result of a nature that was already in you. Did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who was pattern of the one to come. So the one that broke a command and sinned was Adam. But everything afterwards was no longer because of what you did. It was simply that you inherited that nature. Praise God. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if, the, if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sins. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned that one man through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. So what we understand from that place is that sin is a nature. 
And as, as a human being, you can only have one nature. You cannot have half nature from this person, half nature from that person. You can only have one nature. So when you were a sinner, you had the nature of sin. Praise God. And that is why you were called a sinner. Because your nature was sin through inheritance. But when you came to Jesus Christ, there's something that happened. That nature of sin was kicked out. And another nature took place, replaced it. And what is that nature? Righteousness. Praise God. So just like sin is a nature, righteousness is also a nature. So when, when you came to Jesus Christ, you lost that nature of sin, and the nature of righteousness came and it replaced it. Praise God. So now you're no longer a sinner. You're no longer a sinner. The problem is, is that you have not yet understood that. So why you think you are a sinner, or why you think you still misbehave is simply an ignorance problem. You still think you are subject to the man that has already died when you came to Christ. Praise God. But when you understand that you received a new nature from God, a nature of righteousness, and you simply allow that nature to express itself in your members. Praise God. You simply just acknowledging that is very powerful. Acknowledging that I am no longer a sinner because I don't have the nature of sin. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. The Bible says your body is not the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have the nature of righteousness. Acknowledging that already frees your mind from the shackles of sin. Praise God. You know, sometimes as you, when you keep talking about things, you begin to do them. Even in church, sometimes everybody keeps preaching about sin, 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 sin. And the only thing the believer thinks about is how can I overcome sin? How can I overcome sin? And it becomes a trap. What was, I, 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 I hope it was meant to be a good sermon became actually what propelled people into sin. What we need to hear is that we have a new nature, a nature of righteousness. And as long as the believer understands that and he believes it, it's important, he believes it. He understands that and he believes it and he allows the nature of righteousness to express itself through his members. Praise God. You can love unconditionally. For example, Romans 5, 5 says, For the love of God is shed abroad our hearts. By what? By the Holy Spirit that is given unto us. So that's an example. So there are some people you say, yeah, I can never love that person. He's a terrible person. You are not supposed to love that person. You're supposed to allow what is inside to freely flow out. You're supposed to allow what the Holy Spirit placed in there. It's not your responsibility to love another person. It's your responsibility to allow yourself to be a vessel for the Holy Spirit to use. So the love of God is shared abroad our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you're a vessel of love. And once you understand that, you open up yourself for the Holy Spirit to love people through you. And then you find that you don't struggle to love people. Because it's not your responsibility to do that. It's your responsibility to just allow the Holy Spirit to love that person using you. Praise God. So a lot of things, if we understand, we stop struggling. We stop struggling with sin because we know we have the nature of righteousness and we simply need to allow it to freely flow. Amen. Amen. So, um, the, the other one I said, the right to freedom from sin and sickness. So, sickness is clearly stated in the Bible. Isaiah 5.53, he said, by his stripes we are healed. It's the same, it's the same discussion with righteousness. 
So, you are healed. Praise God. It is a state, it is a fact that you are healed. The, the Bible didn't say you will be healed. He said you are healed. You are healed. How many of us believe the Bible? Praise God. The Bible says you are healed. Now think about that. You are healed. Everything contrary to that is a lie. And the Bible says let God be true. And every man a lie. Everything contrary to that is a lie. And what do you do with that? You disagree with it. Praise God. Amen. You disagree with it because your state as defined by the Bible is that you are healed. <laughs> Bible says he wishes above all things that you live in health and prosper as your soul prospers. It is God's will for you that you live in divine health. It is his will. And I thank you for that message. You say the devil, that doesn't mean the devil will not try to challenge you. To challenge how much you believe in that. He will challenge you. He will challenge you with all kinds of symptoms. He will bring all things your way and try to challenge how much do you really believe in the word of God that says you are healed. Praise God. And you need to realize that the devil is only challenging your authority. And like we've established in the beginning, you start and say, no, this is the will of the Father, and I'm here to enforce the will of the Father. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore I cannot be sick. You cannot cohabit with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes just the thought of that will make the devil run away. Just the thought, okay, now I have the Holy Spirit in me, and now the sickness from the devil wants to cohabit in the same body. Does God and sickness want to share this space Maybe they divide the room into one shape. It's not possible. The Bible says light and darkness cannot cohabit. But that lack of understanding is what keeps us in perpetual problems. We need to just meditate on the scriptures. What does it mean that I am now the temple of the Holy Spirit? And do you really believe that? Now, don't, don't come to me afterwards with all kinds of questions like, so why, why are people sick? I, I, I cannot answer that. All I know is that you are healed. Amen. All I know is that you are healed. That's the biblical fact that you are healed. Amen. You shouldn't be sick. You are healed. And I just believe the word of God, literally. I just want to believe the word of God when he says, I'm healed, therefore, I am healed. No, I was reading uh, the, the testimony of uh, is it Billy Graham or something like that. He was a teenager when he had uh, a fatal disease. The doctors told him, just prepare, you're going to die. No, and he was already a believer. Until one day he was reading, just preparing himself to just go and meet God. He came across this scripture like, by his stripes, you were healed. It made him angry. How can it be that I'm dying because of sickness? And how there's a contradiction here. There's something wrong. There's something wrong here. It, it shouldn't be. If I believe the Bible, it says I am healed. How can therefore I how can how comes I'm going to die because of sickness? He took the Bible, literally put it on the ground, and he stood on it. He said, God, you declare this word. I receive it. I therefore believe it. And therefore, I cannot be sick. 
and he lived a very long life. Just that understanding that no, you cannot just meditate on the scriptures about healing. If, if you feel that you are sick in your body, meditate on the scriptures about healing. Really take your time to understand what do they mean. When the Bible says I'm healed, what does it actually mean that I'm healed? Just take your time and meditate on it. Praise God. You share in the divine nature. Amen. Amen. So, finally, in the last five minutes or so, I will talk about the right to prosper. Praise God. As a child of God, you have the right to prosper. And that means you live in perpetual blessings. You have the right to live in perpetual blessings and not rely on occasional miracles. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, I've already quoted that. The Bible says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I'll also, you know, when, when, when Moses told Joshua, uh, was it Joshua, uh, this book of the law, yeah, shall not depart from your mouth, but thou shalt meditate. That, that meditate part is very important. Sometimes we just read the Bible like, like novel. We just read it like newspaper just to grab information, but we really never meditate on it. What does the Bible say? He said, you have blessed me with all, all, not some, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that literally mean? Do we meditate on that? Praise God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, can we see that? <coughs> According as his divine power has given unto us all things. Again, this word all comes. All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge. Now that's that's the condition. You have to know. You have to know. So how does this blessing come? Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. So a precondition is that you have to know. So that is how this blessing comes, true knowledge. It's already there, but as long as you don't use your knowledge about it, you're not, never going to get it. Praise God. So these blessings are there. You have a right as a child of God to be blessed, to live in perpetual blessings. And the responsibility that comes along with that is that God's covenant is established here. God's will is established here on earth. Praise God. Now, notice in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 8, the Bible didn't say it is God that gives you wealth. That's not what the Bible says. It said it is God that gives you the power to make wealth. There's a difference between God gives you wealth and gives you, God gives you the power to, to create wealth. Praise God. Yeah, so they, th th that scripture literally means is that God does not send you manna from heaven. Praise God. You are supposed to exhibit, and still this comes to your, your role as a son, you are supposed to exhibit your ability to be creative like God. If God wanted something, he said, let there be this and it was this. Let there be this and it was this. So God actually, through the scripture, is saying, I have given you that same power. I have given you that same ability that whenever you need something, you actually have the right and the power to bring it to come to pass, to bring it into reality. Praise God. We see that in the life of Isaac. There was a farming in, in, in Philistine at the time. 
uh, I don't know the, the reference to that. There was a famine, and you know, the Philistines and Isaac, everyone was struggling with, with, with famine. There was hunger in the land. And God just gave Isaac the, the, the wisdom. He said, okay, why don't you just go and dig up the well? Now, it's not just the act of digging the well. There's the wisdom there, but there's also the power. That was differentiates you from every other uh, unbeliever. Praise God. Isaac went and he dug a well. Everywhere he dug a well, there was water. And God said, okay, why don't you take that water, go and start watering the plants. That was the beginning of uh, irrigation technology. He was the inventor of irrigation technology. Praise God. Praise God. As a child of God, you have the mind of Christ. That's what it literally means. You have the mind of Christ. You can call things that be not as though they are. You can bring things out of nothing. You can bring into existence things that didn't exist before. And that is what the Bible is saying here, that he has given you the power to create wealth. When you need it, when you need it, you can use this power to bring to pass what you need. Amen. Amen. So you must understand the purpose of the wealth. Praise God. You, are, you have the right to prosper, but please understand the purpose of it. God is not blessing you so that you can buy a Lamborghini and show off to everybody. Praise God. God is giving you that prosperity so that His will on earth here can be established. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1, he said, the, the Bible says the heir is no different from a slave as long as he is a child. Praise God. So there are some things that you, you do not experience in your life because you, you're still a child. You think like a slave, you think like a child, and therefore those things don't come to pass. The blessings are there. So a, a, a young prince, for example, he knows that his father is a king, and so everything his father, his, his father owns literally belongs to him. But he's treated as a slave because he's a child. He does not yet understand the implication of that. There are some times you want to, you know, get all kinds of things. And God is saying, no, you are still a child. Until you grow in your knowledge and you understand the purpose of, of the kingdom of God for everything that I give unto you, you have to wait and grow. Praise God. So if you want to live in unlimited blessings of God, grow up. And how do you grow? You grow by transforming your mind with the word of God. Hallelujah. And you believe what the Bible says. Amen. Amen. I'll stop here. So please be sure of your identity in Christ and live by it. Praise God. Insist on your right as a child of God. Insist on your right as a child of God. Praise God. When you're in a situation where the devil is challenging that authority, he said, no, it is clearly written. This belongs to me. You cannot take me away from this. You can tell the devil, no, this belongs to me. This, by right, by law, this belongs to me. And therefore, the devil understands laws here. He understands laws. So when you speak the law to him, and you say, this is by right. He lives spiritually backed by spiritual laws. He understands and he backs up. Praise God. I pray that this message blesses you and you begin to represent God. Amen. Amen. Amen.